It's the second cup of Joe and John with Joe Elvis and John Dwyer. Greetings, one and all, across this country and in Europe and in Bangladesh and India, where we have listeners. Just get to it. And, uh, (laughs) you know, kind of a, we do this show generally in the morning. This is not an afternoon show because we'll probably be drinking. (laughs) It'd be the second (laughs) cup of of something. (laughs) Second shot. So take your pick. It's I love this. I love the mornings. Uh, The mornings, it, it feels good to do this. Uh, you worked morning TV for centuries, and I don't know. There's just kind of a freshness to the day. There's- that was the whole idea behind the podcast. It's yeah. the second cup. You, you yeah. kind of you, you're on your way. You're you're kind of got your, everything out in the morning, and and you, you know we want to be motivational, inspirational. Um, not sure we hit the mark on any of those things, but but, but, and, but we like to talk natural centric, talk seventies, eighties, nineties. We're both the big six O now. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, you know, I like hanging out with you in the mornings. Really. <laughs> we so, used to play golf uh, first off hermitage, first off at hermitage 7 a.m oh, playing two and fun. a half let's do it back again. and take a nap before i had to go into so back to two. rewind a little we would play 18 holes in two and a half hours yeah. i mean we were off we weren't good but we just we you know we have not earned the right to look at a putt three different ways that drives no. that drives uh, yeah. me nuts from behind from the side watching from pro back. golf has ruined it because everybody yeah. thinks they have to emulate that. that's Take, right you know two and a half waggles hours. and all that so, so it's a good time i know we I'm, haven't gotten back into that where i'm leading to is a mornings for workouts too morning is your workout time with you and your wife Lindley. it is Lindley and i up at 4 40 oh. walk the dog 5 30 oh. workout 6 30 back uh getting some things done in the office by eight in bed by 8 30 <laughs> oh my god <laughs> so that's it yeah, my life has changed dramatically from working evenings. Yeah. Do you enjoy the workout? I do. Uh, when I don't do it, I feel more guilty and I haven't felt like I started the day right. So it's more of that. And I've also gotten, and I think a lot of people that listen to this uh, do work out or do something. Uh, I don't I don't beat myself up if I don't, you know, go 100% every morning. I'm up. I'm doing, what, 99.9% of the world doesn't Isn't do. Like me. So, And I'm just fighting it also. I mean, 60, I feel, you know, the old Satchel Page, do you... How old are you if you didn't know how old you were? And I think that that applies to our guest. I mean, he he's a very young, young 70. To, to, but to leave this, I think it, we just mentioned the 60. It's important. What kind of work? Are you doing these incredible throw a tire, climb a rope, run 16 miles? You know, you can get hurt. No, it's called scaling. If the workout is, is for a 35-pound dumbbell right. and you're supposed to do a snatch over your head, I may do 25 that day. You okay. know what? Sue me. Right. I don't care. You know, and then there's people at the gym that, you know, they're like, oh, I think I beat John. Yeah, you beat a 60-year-old. Who cares? Have, you know, have a higher bar, you that's, know? So, that's the only negative about but it. But I have been hurt, and I just it's not fun being hurt because no. then you can't do it. So then you can't so. work out. Then you get fat. Yeah. Well, and I, I, can't lose, I can't lose the 10 I put on from COVID. And it's a mystery because, you know, I, I eat and drink a lot. Uh, <laughs> why, what, what, what's going wrong here? Why can't I take off the 10? My I can't COVID do 15. it, man. Uh, it's like my wife's baby weight. She's losing from 23 years ago. So it's, it's just never going to happen. <laughs> I hope she doesn't listen to this. Kimmy, 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 Kimmy deserves better than that. Hey, we got Not a good much one. better. We'll see what kind of rock and roll workout we're going to get in here today. It's going to be great. People. Let's take a spin through Joe and John's Rolodex. What do you got, Joe? Lands on P. David Piercy. David Piercy, I'll describe as a rock and roll historian. The greatest, largest Jimi Hendrix collection you'll find in the globe. Uh, he's been documented on television with this thing. We'll talk about that definitely. Uh, but David, back to my 103 KDF days, and my 105.9 The Rock days, was a guy who would call and. Uh, just inform me uh, on things that uh, I didn't know anybody knew, and David would come on my He'd show. He'd call you out. He, I, yeah, you were I'm so like, wrong about David, that. <laughs> I don't know the third song that Hendrix played at Woodstock. I don't. Yeah, I, don't. I love this This next 40 yeah. minutes. I'm going to love this because I yeah. loved a deep dive into old 70s, 60s, 70s, 80s rock, and, and we have the guy here. He did. And he lives in Nashville. He is. He lives in Nashville and has a lot of great Nashville rock history, which is what we'll focus on today. David, welcome to the second cup of Joe. And John. I am thrilled to be here, guys. Here we go. Uh, so first off, 
we were talking workouts, and I do know this about you. Uh, you're in a karate dojo a couple weeks. Talk yeah. talk about your karate workouts. I've I've been at that for uh, this is my fiftieth year doing that. I was. Um, do you I have a gold third. belt? What do you get when you're in a 50-year? Gold, belt. gold belt's like second stage. It's a, it's a black belt. But okay. I was, uh, Shut up, John, right? <laughs> I, I don't know this guy, and I don't like this guy already. And he's going to kick your ass And already. he's going to kick my ass out <laughs> with, the door. With his finger. That's right. No, I was, I was 13 when I saw Bruce Lee on the Green Hornet, mm-hmm. if you've ever seen any old reruns of that. And I watched him, and what he did just looked magical to me, and I said, I've got to learn to do that. But I was only 13, so there was there were no karate schools around at the time. And a few years later, when his first movie came out, by then I had wheels. I was mobile. I found uh, an oh, an excellent instructor. I still call him Sensei to this day, and I just applied into that. And uh, what Sensei is that? Is that Guru? Yeah, that was that's my instructor. He's okay. the man. Okay. And uh, his name was Wayne Tyler. He teaches, uh, he's got a place in uh, Mount Juliet and, uh, I've just, I'm still doing it a couple of times a week. Cause it's one of those things. It's one of those perishable skills, use it or lose it. So it that's is impressive. That's what we were talking about. I have my black belt and Wado Roo. You, you have, you, yeah. Do you really? I've got my black belt in karate. Why, what are you so shocked? I for? just, I, I did know. not you, know I that. Did not, yeah. I, no. How did I? Well, I thought I've we never had seen talked you, about it once. I, yeah. I would never. You never see me break into a stance. Well, I just, yeah, I just don't. <laughs> I just bar. don't look at you and think of somebody kicking somebody's ass, kicking ass. and you being the person doing it. No. I just, not, well, no offense. I, I just, have a first degree. So, David, okay. you, where are you now? Well, you know, I am. Uh, I'm just a black belt. I'm okay. not in the system now, right. so I'm not in that that line to to get the, the various mm-hmm. degrees. So I just try and keep the tools sharp. Well, I brought that up because I found martial arts, especially for kids, is one of the greatest uh, workouts, art forms for peace, for your mind, for your body. It's fabulous. And for your flexibility as you get older, I've left it. And it really bothers me. Um, I'm not as mobile, not as quick, not as I'm just fat and slow now. And like you said, you have to do it a couple of weeks. But anyone listening, it's great. You don't have to. You're not, you know, it's. Uh, anybody can do it. A lot of women do it. It's right. fabulous. Well, I got my son into it when he was about 12 or 13, yeah. and he got his black belt. So that was something we were able to do together. And then he got into college and uh, took up – well, he took up guitar around the same time. So he's a – we got to share music and martial arts. Well, you started uh, at 13, but you started – your love for music, you, we, you, but there's a picture in front of us, a black and white. Well, of course it'd be black and white, but <laughs> no offense, David. Uh, <laughs> but but it's you with your first 45 uh, record, which has a sleeve. Right. And there you are. You're a cute kid, by the way. It, yeah, thank yeah, you very yeah, much. Um, it was uh, I Want to Hold Your Hand, the, the Beatles' first single. Yeah. You know, and when the Beatles played Ed Sullivan, that was all the kids were talking about at school the next day. Did you, did you see it? Did you remember that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Did it have the effect that everybody says? It did. I was just like, wow, it just changed everything. Yeah. And so I was just totally uh, got into the music scene. Did your parents, were they strict and say, you're not doing rock and roll or you're okay with that? No, no. My mother, well, my father was uh, overseas in the military for okay. a year at right. that time. Okay. Uh, Good timing. So, so mom was all... She was all into it. Okay. I mean, she loved the Beatles, too. Elvis? And she kind of, oh, that was her favorite. Oh, see, now, yeah, you, you know, didn't see, have an when he came to when he came to MTSU 1975, I said, you're going. So I got her and dad tickets to see Elvis, and I think it was, it was a, you know, one of those moments in her life, too. She said it was like he was singing just to me, you know? <laughs> he wasn't fat then, was he? No, that was that was a little before that. I what? saw him three times uh, in two weeks. I saw him two nights in a row, and then he came back the the next week and played a third show. What era of Elvis was that? Was that like that the was, Alive from Aloha? That well, live era. Yeah, it was the uh, it was the white sparkly jumpsuit. Okay, got era. it. That's perfect. But you know, it was uh, 
you know, he was still doing his thing, you know, so it was, it was, uh, it was something to see. People think I know things about Elvis with my name, Joe Elvis. Right. I know nothing about Elvis. I love that live from, Good a, call. from Hawaii show. <laughs> the reason I was Joe Elvis was my father's birthday is the day Elvis, uh, was born. Right. And my birthday is the day Elvis dies. Wow. Elvis dies the day after my birthday, actually. Wow. So with that and a six pack of beer, I became Joe Elvis. Right. And I'm Joe King. And so I was Joe Elvis. That's it. I As didn't it know. Is be. Piercy your last name? Yes. By the way, because we do this podcast and we don't go by our last name. No, oh, okay. Not, not ashamed by it, but anyway. we're still using our stage names. Oh, yeah. Because yeah, it got it us is. so far. What started you on this uh, fandom of rock and roll? What, what, I mean, I mean, you are serious. We're going to talk some Hendrix here well, in a second. But when, when the Beatles happened, you know, I just started, I, I came along at the time to where I could look into the pioneer stuff from the 50s, and then I lived through the best part of it, which for me was like from 64 to 74. And um, so I started delving into the history of it and the lives these people led. It was just um, so interesting, so fascinating. And, you know, I wanted to play. So I tried, but music is a gift, you know. And if Wait, you that the truth. If you don't have it. And I ain't got it. I don't care how much you practice. It ain't happening, you know. Like I, Thank I, you for validating that for well, me. Well, you know, I can, I've never, I've wanted to. I know. See, I can make some, I've tried. I can make some noise on the drums, and I can make some noise on a guitar, but I'm not really a guitar player. I'm not really a drummer, you know. So, uh so I try so but I have a great head for dates and places and times and and history. You know, I was always a history buff and hey, history of music, what the heck? So that was that was my thing and still is. Common sense would tell you not to look to Joe and John for this, but time for life lessons from Joe and John. So I just want to set the table here as we talk about life lessons and what music has taught you. And you're saying, all right, what's with this cat that he's on the podcast? And the fact is, your collection with Jimi Hendrix and 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 uh, the things that have been chronicled about your collection, it is there's 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 fandom, and then there's then there's you know level twelve, which you are. I mean, you have more, um, and it's world renowned. I mean, Google you, Google you know, I know you have the YouTube and all that stuff. Right. Um, it's crazy. I mean, you have been, uh, you know, dare I say, obsessed. Well, you know, and I don't mean that in a I'll weird way, it. but yeah, you'll, take take, you'll, you'll own that. You know, I, um, I've contributed to some several books and uh, a couple of documentaries, and I have met, you know, there's only one guy from his inner circle still living, Billy Cox, his bass player from the Band of Gypsies. But I have, I've been to Electric Lady Studios. I met his dad. I gave his father a painting because I was an artist in, in school. And, uh, you know, I've just, I've met so many of his contemporaries and, and they've been so nice to sit down and talk to me about it. And it's, it's fascinating. It's an incredible um, era of musical history that will, will never come again because of, you know, way things were back then. Talk about uh, Jimi Hendrix's history in Nashville. He was in the 101st Airborne. He was in the Army. He was. And then he has a lot of stories. Downtown Jefferson Street used to be a historic music street. Right, right. Well, you know, he was he was in the 101st Airborne uh, in Fort Campbell. And in 1985, when you could get on a military base just by signing in at the gate, uh, Billy Cox and I, because Billy was in the Army with him up there, we, we went to Fort Campbell. And we drove around the base, and he showed me, you know, their barracks. And we drove past this building, and he's, uh, it was service club number one. And he said, see that awning right there? He said, I ducked under that awning one night coming from the base theater to get out of the rain. It was raining. He said, and I heard this as he said, guitar playing inside. So he went in, and there was a 19-year-old Jimi Hendrix just sitting by himself playing guitar and he said, I introduced him myself, and he said, uh, told him I play bass, and he said, well, check one out, you know. So he said, we just started jamming right off, and that's where it started. So I thought, I'm standing in the spot, you know, where yeah. it all happened, you know. So um, so then the Jefferson Street, they moved to Nashville. Right, They got out of the Army around about the same time. So they moved to Nashville, and they, they, they had a place. There was a beauty parlor 
over on Jefferson Street called Joyce's House of Glamour. It's gone now. Everything's gone. Yeah. I-40 came through and just took everything out. But they had a room there, and but they played in various bands and all over town, and uh, that's where it really started. He, um, he was on – I found uh, one of my proudest accomplishments is I found – the earliest known uh, filmed performance by Jimi Hendrix, which was on television here in Nashville in 1965. There was a local TV show called Night Train. Some clips of it are on YouTube. What station? It was on Channel 5. It was on WLAC. And it was local black talent and some big names too. And it was hosted by a man who's gone now named Noble Blackwell. Well, I knew... That uh, that that stuff, some of it still existed, had to. So I had a friend back in the early 80s who was an intern in the newsroom at Channel 5, and I said, go down into the bowels of Channel 5 where all that stuff is. Go in the crypt. It, yes, and find <laughs> out if any of it still exists. Oh, so he went down there, and he said, I got this friend who's really into Jimi Hendrix, and he's looking for this this night train footage, if it still exists. And the guy said, oh, you must be talking about David Piercy. And he said, how do you know him? And the guy said, I went to school with him, you know. Well, that worked out. So it was one of my old school chums. So uh, we wound up talking on the phone. And he said, yeah, I, you know, it exists. I was, I was just looking at it. So I was prepared to pat his palm with some dollars, sure. you know. Uh, and, uh, and I said, how can I get a copy of it? He said, I'll send you one. So he sent it to me. Oh man! And uh, so I shared it with the Hendrix Estate, who was uh, which was controlled by a man named Alan Douglas at the time, who's also gone. And he paid me several hundred bucks just for finding it. And now you see that little clip in uh, documentaries, and, and it's on YouTube. But it, Jimmy's in the background. He's he's in the band. But you know, he, you know, the bands always did the choreographed steps behind the singers. But he's already reaching over the neck and elbowing up and down and and playing along with the horns, because he always said the you know the sax players and the horn players are the ones that really got the audience going. So he was playing the same lines of the horns. You have to check it out. Just uh, go to YouTube and Jimi Hendrix Night Train, and it'll come up. And it's 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 fan. You can't miss him. So you were a fan of radio, no doubt, all oh. the time. That That's album-oriented rock radio, right. AOR radio. That's well, the best era of radio, right. too, that you're describing as we rolled into the 60s and later into but, the 70s. But, you know, it started out with AM. Sure. You know, when I was 10 years old, yeah. I was living in Blytheville, Arkansas, which is about 70 miles out of Memphis. And there was a little station. I don't know if it still exists. It was called KLCN. And they actually let me and a couple of my friends come up there one night and sit in the studio while this guy played 45s, you know, top 40 stuff. Yep. But I was just, you know, I was like, wow, I'm in the inner sanctum here. <laughs> so, you know, as I hit teenage years and I'm living here. And to me, the DJs were stars. You know, I thought yeah, they were rock, they were rock how, stars. How yeah. cool do you have to be to be a DJ on a rock station? Yeah. When I could get one of them on the phone, then I was just wow. Yeah, the request line. Yeah, Wait, oh, don't don't. Yeah, because oh, I would do that. I'd and, call in. And if they play, it actually played the song you requested. I went. I requested that song. I did that. Running around you know, the and and I so that's when I started trying to talk my way onto. Radio stations. I actually talked my way onto. There was a guy, and so many of these guys are gone now. There was a guy on WMAK named Alan Dennis, and he always used to take shots at Smyrna because Smyrna was a speed trap back then. And I remember going up one night, and I took him a little pamphlet about Welcome to Smyrna, and we talked about that, and we just cut up on the air. But then in 1970, WKDA-FM, before it was KDF, uh, your alma mater, um, from 70 to 74, it was album-oriented rock. It was as good as rock radio ever got in Nashville. And I, they, had a, they had a program on Wednesday nights called FM Concerts 103. It was hosted by the late Ron Huntsman. 
And I called him and said, man, I've got this live Jimi Hendrix album, Jimi Hendrix live at the Isle of Wight. Would you like to do it? So he invited me to come up, and, and I, got, I didn't get to say anything, but I was sitting there with him in the Stallman building next to the big red letters, and uh, that was it. And later on, I actually um, auditioned for Jack Crawford, who I think was a program director at the time, and he liked my tape, but there were no openings. Yeah. So that was – but for an opening, I would have been an alum of KDF too. But I've, I've. You're I've not t- bitter. I, I, no, I no. You, you seem to have let it go, David. Well, years. you know, I have, I have literally <laughs> been a guest on every rock station in Nashville right. over the last fifty years, and uh, and got to work with some of the greatest rock jocks in Nashville history. He's pointing at me, John. And yeah, I know. He's <laughs> pointing at me. That's why we need video for that? this podcast. And they are friends. They are my friends to this day. Well, he's one of the few living ones you've talked about. Yeah, I just, yeah. Like, I just, yeah, yeah. There seemed to be a theme here. Uh-huh. Uh, so, what is your? Go ahead. If you when you come to Nashville, you'll see that downtown on the Stallman Building, WKDF. Yeah, has uh, been there for decades and decades, right. and still, even through my era there, they, you know, the station's not in that building anymore. It's been right. long gone, and it's incredibly expensive to keep the letters up there and working because well, you'll really? always see one letter one, burned oh, out. Oh, Always out. Always burned yeah, out. I always thought that was it's, a thing. Like, that was kind yeah, of their thing. No. And it would be great that we were right under the letters or something. But after that era David's talking about, they moved up to uh, 2nd Avenue South, 506 2nd Avenue South. And that's where the, the, the kingdom of KDF right, Radio was right. built. So it was incredibly expensive. And they always wanted to get rid of it. But they thought it would be such a huge backlash to get uh, rid of. KDF has been gone for... Oh, decades now right. as a rock station. It's now a country station. That's when I got canned is when they turned country. Right, right. And so there was so much pushback on that. And the next station I worked at was 105.9 The Rock, right. which came on solely to capture all the KDF right. pissed off people. And the station shot instantly to number one. Right, right. So um, it, that, that just Nashville rocks. Nashville has always crunched country music with right. rock radio it's, it's a great city right at the uh at the second avenue um kdf studios i guested with him and david hall shannon and bill Pugh, and uh doug bolin and then over at 105 i i guested with you and big wally brent alberts and uh mary proud mary so oh, that's right. we've had a All we've legends. had a blast. It's, yeah, and I have tapes of mo- many of those shows. Where did uh, so the let's forward a little bit to the seventies. A lot of the great right. concerts that you've been to. Talk about maybe uh, your first concert. You don't have to go into great detail, but what well, were some unique shows that you saw maybe here in Nashville? Well, you know the concert scene. You know when I was when I was just a kid when I was in ten, twelve, eleven, twelve. You know the like the Beach Boys played uh, municipal and the stones played municipal in 65 but my first concert was uh, uh august august 25th 1970 uh, my beginning of my senior year of high school was led zeppelin Ooh. at municipal auditorium and i when you think about ticket prices now when stones played the the stadium last time uh from the uh stage to the 50 yard line were 700 dollars I paid $6.50 to see Led Zeppelin, and I was on the 10th row on the floor. So, you know, that is quite a, and, you know, and when you think about the time period, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, and Jim Morrison were still alive at that moment, you know, so it was, and this was two weeks before Led Zeppelin three came out because he said, we've got an album coming out in two weeks' time, you know, so. Those were just great, great days. Municipal Auditorium still there. Yes. The exact same building that yeah. has housed so many great No shows. renovations right. at all. Sure right. doesn't smell it's like it. still the air filter. Right. It's always been. They still have a frame from about 1970-something with all the old tickets. Right. It's right. so cool. And just maybe a quick piece on that below it. I don't have it on. I usually am wearing it. The Musicians Hall of Fame. Right. Joe Chambers. Right. Joe Chambers was the curator who just passed last year. He just absolutely a tremendous guy. But if you come to Nashville, the bottom level now of Municipal Auditorium is the Musicians Hall of Fame. And it is amazing. I know you, you've got a lot of ties to that. Yeah. Uh, well, I knew Joe for 40 years. Joe used to have a, a very small guitar store in Smyrna. 
and I used to sit with him before when it was still an idea in his head, and he would he would lay out to me his vision of what the Musicians Hall of Fame was going to be and what he wanted it to represent. And when it did happen, it exceeded all of those things. So I would work events from time to time just as kind of a info giver to people that were walking around and wanted to know what was going on. But um had so much fun there, you know, and that's if, you know, if you come to Nashville or if you're local, you need to go over there and check that place out. You know, I picture Joe in heaven now standing next to Jimi Hendrix saying, you know, Jimmy, that guy down there has got all your records, man. Rapid, 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 we will get back to the uh, music nostalgia. I want to ask you, uh, and these are questions. Just uh, they're not rapid and they're not firing. So uh, false advertising. Uh, uh, pet peeve. Give me a pet peeve. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You know, have you ever been there? No, I, I did. I haven't. Of all my stuff in twenty five years of radio, I've never been on the I Rock went, and Roll Hall of Fame. I no. went in 06. And it started out as really a real noble idea and concept. And in the early days, it wasn't even televised in the early days. It was filmed, but they never televised it. Some of that stuff is making its way out, you know, in circles now. But, you know, of course, in, in the early days, they inducted, like, the, the pioneers, like Bill Haley and the Comets and Chuck Berry and the Spangers. Yeah, they caught up pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, and then, the, you know, the and then it was the Beatles and the Stones and Hendrix and so on and so forth. But every year, for the last three years or so, it gets, you know. Dolly Parton. How is, well, I'll get to that. How is Johnny Winter not in the Hall of Fame? And he was, and he's gone now, but he was alive, you know, in the early days. Mountain, Leslie West, he's gone. Wow, how are they not? How is Procol Harum and Jethro Tull not in the Hall of Fame? But Joan Jett and Madonna and LL Cool J and Dolly Parton. Now, Dolly, everybody yeah, loves e- Dolly. E- easy, easy now. Dolly. We don't want to disrupt our one listener. That's right. <laughs> Dolly, you said something about Dolly. It's no, like saying something against you, too. You know, she's, she's a national treasure. You know, everybody loves her. She's an icon. I do, too. I know. But, but you know, when she was first nominated, she said, you know, that's not really my genre. You know, exactly. I, I've never, I haven't really done anything to deserve that. Thanks, but no thanks. And she was yeah, universally saluted for doing that and then a few days later she did a complete 180 and uh said yeah okay i'll take it so but well played well i think that's well played because because you 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 said what everybody was saying under their breath and and then i'm okay with that yeah dolly does no wrong no she sure doesn't um but as you said it's odd it's not the rock and roll hall of fame it's just like this uh, like we have to we have to incorporate it's like everything in life it's now. political it's money making it's you gotta put everybody yeah. well, everybody should, there's no boy scouts there's no girl scouts they should there's stop no calling there's no it that. the rock and roll hall that's what i mean just call it the music yeah, yeah. the modern music hall. i yeah. i totally get and it, what my little pet peeve on that was um uh kiss took forever to get in and you're saying well kiss you know how many number ones do they well they you know right but the impact they had oh, yeah. uh, and and the influence it's like yeah, don't look at their charts. Yeah. They didn't chart, but they, I mean, yeah, it's, they, they're, they, they're not Garth my, Brooks gives his credit in right, his show to right, see right. Him. They're and not my cup of tea, but you cannot deny what they've accomplished. Right, anyway. You know? All right, that was, that was really quick. And now quick. back to rapid fire questions. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> what, uh, what's in your CD player now, or what are you listening to now? You know, I'm still listening to, you know, I still listen to that that old stuff. Uh, let me let me go to a couple <laughs> of old rock and roll memories that, that, um, uh, you know, a lot of bands that are still around now are just tribute bands now. Like uh, Deep Purple's really a tribute band now. There's only one or two of them left. Yes is basically Steve Howe and a bunch of guys. That's not Yes. And, you know, several bands like that. But uh, in 1973, uh, 50 years ago this month, on the 18th, and I've still got the uh, the newspaper 
clipping for the show. Of course you do. I went to see. Of course yes. you do, David. I went you to see. You freaking hoarder. Yes. Yes. And I proudly wear the wear the hat. Uh, I went to see Uriah Heep at, at Municipal Auditorium. ZZ Top opened for him. Oh, that's good. And uh, see, now, th- this was like the Mark II version of the band. They, the, the version of the band that did all the songs that you know. For Uriah Heep. For them. Like stealing. Yeah, yeah. Well, see, at the time, uh, they were touring behind a very successful double live album. And then the album you're talking about, which was called Sweet Freedom, but Stealing, which I know you've played on the radio, was the single. So, uh, so it was a great show. And, uh, and that, and in fact, I was listening to that album on the way here, ah, neat. that live album. So, so, um, so we moved to the front of the, uh, of the, uh, auditorium right up by the stage and the guitar player looked down and saw my girlfriend and, uh, and kind of shouted to her where they were staying you know? <laughs> right in front of you. <laughs> And Dude, so, I'm right here. Right, right. No, he didn't see me. <laughs> Can I come? That's right. So we went over. So we went over, and they were staying at what was then the four-star hotel in Nashville. It was called Roger Miller's King of the Road Motor Inn. It's right past the – It's the when you pass the stadium on the interstate, it's the next big thing down on the, on the left there. Uh, it was a roadway later on. I know what it is now. But this is where all the celebrities stay. There was a nightclub – on the top called the roof where all the beautiful people, you know, hung out. So we got there and we were sitting there in the lobby. Oh, so you actually went? Oh, we went over to the, yeah, we, we went, went over to, there. You, you, know. you weren't invited, David. You weren't invited <laughs> oh, no. though, David. Yeah, but I had, I was driving. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, uh, so while we're sitting there in the lobby, Chris Christopherson and Rita Coolidge walked in yeah. and uh, I guess they were staying there and, and sat down next to us. We didn't say anything to him, but I mean, this is Christopherson as you know him and those with the beard and the leather and the jeans and the long hair and she was looking like the indian princess so we were just like wide i like whoa yeah so you know the band came in and we spoke to them as they came in and then we went into the bar to have a drink and uh david byron the lead singer uh stuck his head in and looked around and uh I got his attention, and he, and he was one of the biggest rock stars in the world at the time and he came over and sat down with us and talked music, and he had a solo album coming out, and uh, it was just the nicest fella, you know, and I always think about that when I pass that, but all, all, except for the guitar player, they're all gone now. You know, he had a problem with alcohol. The bass player, you know, was a heroin addict, and uh, the drummer, Lee Kerslake, who played with Ozzy later on, he had cancer, and, and Ken uh, Hensley, the, the keyboard player, he just had health problems so there's only one of them left but they should be in the in the hall of fame but so did you drive home alone that night no okay good. <laughs> good. no good. sorry mick this That's one's it. coming with That's me it. you know finally a tag on that one the best thing about municipal auditorium shows was everybody smoking in those days oh, yeah. and in municipal auditorium it's cigarettes everywhere but then that and new, other stuff that new smell came out yeah that was my first show ever in 78 was a municipal and mm. i was like what is that smell the mary jane oh man yeah. the weed the honk the spliff was everywhere that yeah. was the for to me the best part of a concert lights go down that first guitar riff right. and the drums kicking in i was like geez that's i gotta do that right. Right. yeah that's good uh rapid fire one quick i think you have do you have a quick a cartney story i think didn't you meet did no, you need, no i've never met a beetle that's one of my one of my well where the hell have you been uh, wait, wait, wait. Uh, wrong play you know you, you just out. don't meet a beetle walking down the street you didn't either. camp out in lebanon at junior's farm i thought you had junior's farm story i'm, oh, I'm no, mixing no, it up with somebody no, my yeah. bad but I, All I right, we'll have, edit this part out. I brought something. I brought <laughs> We're something. not editing okay. anything. I don't know how to edit. I so, brought something for you Yeah, guys. would you? And okay. Now, this is another story. This is um, uh, November 5th, 1970. I, was, I just turned 17. Johnny Cash had a variety show that lasted three seasons. It was mm-hmm. on ABC, mm-hmm. taped at the, the original Ryman downtown. And uh, he had Derek and the Dominoes on. The Layla album had just come out. So, um, so I went, you know, we went down there to see that we were sitting in the balcony and, uh, back then the, 
this was not the renovated beautiful no no air conditioning you know, no none and it was musty and dusty and sitting in the balcony you know how the balcony comes around in kind of a horseshoe shape and i was looking down at the stage and because i had brought clapton's first solo album and i thought i wanted to get it signed you know and i'd never met a rock star and uh, over in the corner of this upstairs balcony uh, there was a bunch of wood leaning up against the wall and i just hmm so i walked over there i looked behind that wood and there was a door so i just took this door and went down this very steep flight of stairs and came out right in front of clapton's dressing room and uh all right this is creepy so i'm scary i'm scared <laughs> to go in the, sure. door, the door was slightly ajar and i could hear them tuning and stuff and some guy looked looked and saw me stand there and said you want to get that signed i said absolutely and he, so he said come in so i just made a beeline over to clapton and uh i shook his hand asked him if he'd sign my record so he started to sign and the pen didn't work so oh. he shrugged his shoulders so i reached in my pocket and went i have up. a spare <laughs> back up so he signed he signed that um <laughs> that album for me and i thanked him and i left didn't occur to me who else was in the room at the time so uh so we went up and watched the show they played six songs they played it's too late which is on the album they played uh it's got to get better in a little while which came out on their live album they did uh three takes of they brought carl perkins out they did three takes of matchbox and they used the third take and then after it was over johnny said well if it's all right with our producer eric could do like like to do one more song just for you guys so they did blues power so what i have for you guys Uh uh-oh uh oh! Here we go. Gre- the presents. unedited, all six, all six. How about cuts. that? Nice. So, a little addendum. Thank you. A little addendum to that. He's that handing the, us CDs with a. It is for the uh, people with that. Uh, that picture is from, sure. yeah. from the show. That picture's from. It's from the show. It is from show. Eric, Eric Clapton. Uh, well, uh, not a big beard. Uh, semi-long hair feathered in the front. Oh, he was still in his 20s at yeah. the time. Was he really? So, the, so that's uh, that's the unedited tape. You'll hear the guy off stage going. Uh, action one two three and then they'll start so but here's an addendum i used to listen when i was a kid to these great live albums there were so many great live albums in that era and i'd hear the crowd and think man how lucky were those people to be there when this went down and every once in a while you'd hear something distinctive in the crowd like on the alma brothers live at fillmore east during one of the quiet bits of uh like whip and post during the part of the jam you'll hear some guy yell play all night and you know if that guy's still alive you know he plays that for his grandchildren and says that's that was me that that's That's me so i so i said i have to do something to get on this recording so uh so after the no it wasn't did they press charges and you can and you can go on youtube and see it Uh, uh after the first song huge applause and clapton is kind of you know he's kind of you know just really uh, overwhelmed by it all and johnny walks out and shakes his hand and, and the applause stopped and he said you know what i really am proud to see that the people here love you like they do and i let out a big a big whistle and the applause started all over again so i said there i am that's right it. so I, you can go on youtube and you know <laughs> cue the whistle there's a few we're gonna cue this <laughs> Joe and John have come to the Fork in the Road. David, this is terrific. Thank you again for that. Uh, it's the Johnny Cash Show, Derek and the Dominoes, Nat- Ryman Auditorium, November 5th. 1970 so uh the fork in the road is kind of maybe what came across your life a sliding door if you will of you could have gone this way you know you said you interviewed for radio jobs but it didn't work out and your life went this way Mm -hmm. um what what what's one of those moments in your life maybe why didn't you uh embrace country music and be such a great curator of it uh you took on rock where where in your life was something where you said hey eh, now i'm gonna go this direction well see i grew up in a house my dad loved the classic country music you know that's what he grew grew up listening to so that's country music to me what what they call country and everything evolves i know that because you know uh led zeppelin is a long way from buddy holly but um uh so you know i appreciate all those things 
but it was just uh just not where I, you know, and and I some really interesting history there. My mother went to high school with Johnny Cash. No uh, way. Yeah, Dias, Arkansas, population 500. They were sharecroppers. They the families lived in little shacks and they raised cotton. And uh, you're and, telling us this now? Yeah. <laughs> so you buried the lead. <laughs> so That's pretty impressive. Well, he asked about country yeah, music. Okay. So so I have her 1949 yearbook, of annual. course. So uh, of course I, went, you do. I went to two different <laughs> uh, uh, Johnny Cash tapings. Uh, the, the Clapton one was in 70. In 1968, I was 15. We went to one. And like I said, no security, no nothing. So when it ended, I just climbed over up onto the stage and I jumped over some, uh, some props and almost landed on T Tommy Couture, who was like one of the big announcers for WSM back then. And, uh, I found Johnny cash, <clears throat> excuse me. And I said, uh, Mr. Cash, when's the last time you saw one of these? And I opened up that and he said, son, where'd you get that? And I said, it's my mother's. And he goes, well, who's your mother? And I showed him her picture my mother was quite lovely, is quite lovely, and uh, he knew the family because it was population 500. Everybody knew everybody. So, you know, and I've got that annual, you know, signed by him. And uh, and in that, he was, uh, you're younger than her, but in the annual, he's kind of doing an Elvis. He's kind of, uh, you know, with a sneer, you know. Sure. So, so he was he headed had it back then. He was headed there then, you know. So. That's great. You talk about breaking that, and, and those are different times, no security. You could walk up and you just, you know, Fake it till you make it. Yeah. Uh, real quick story. Had to, uh, at News 2, Neil Young, uh, it was probably 10 years ago, put out a new album, doing a press thing at the Country Music Hall of Fame. But the, uh, of course, uh, I hated this because everybody controlled. You couldn't ask him. You had to just ask him about the album. And it right. was a country-based album. And so, you know, I'm. but a, a guy I played golf with uh, grew up with him on the same street in Canada. And he, he said, I grew up with Neil and, and his older brother, I think. He said, I was, you know, he, I said, why don't you come and, and carry my tripod and, and let's just see if we can break him, you know? And he did, you know, because he, he went down the line. Here's the ABC station. Here are my two questions. And I go, by the way, here's uh, Paul Pierce or whatever. He was. I can't All remember right. the guy's name. Sorry. And, and he's like, <laughs> yeah, how are you doing? You know, all of a sudden good. it broke in. It was just neat to see right. them. Nice you know, bring the curtain down because it was a childhood memory. Right. And we didn't have, our, there was no, I, you know, we didn't even get a picture. I mean, you would think right then you'd be, can I get a selfie or something? We didn't even pull that. So it's a memory. Yeah. So anyway. Well, you can go uh, on my YouTube channel. Um, what yeah. is it, by the way? Yeah. Uh, well. Is that tricky? Uh, no, no. Uh, we'll put it in, type, in our liner notes. You can type in still rocking, S-T-L-R-O-C-K-N. Okay. And that will bring up a little icon of Jimi Hendrix's face, and you just click on that, and all my episodes are there. Perfect. All right. And what's a, you have a website, too, don't you? Well, <laughs> David, David, come on now. We're trying. I had a website for 20 years. Yeah. And I got hits from all over the world. Of course you did. You know, from people that saw him or people that were just fans. And, yeah. uh, and a, there's a couple of colleges that actually have rock and roll history courses, and Indiana University has a course called The Music of Jimi Hendrix. Nice. And they would use my uh, website in their in their classes. And uh, about a year and a half ago, the company that on whose server my my website set mm -hmm. melted down, uh, so my website is gone. So I've just got the YouTube channel. But okay. on my YouTube channel, <clears throat> I've been lucky to meet and sometimes become friends with some of my rock heroes. And in 1990. Well, actually, it was, it was 86, I met Steve Winwood, mm -hmm. and I gave him, because he was on the Electric Ladyland album and actually appeared on a bill with Hendrix in 68, I gave him some outtakes uh, on tape and some pictures of them, and he mentioned it in his autobiography, came out in 1989, so... Um, he didn't say my name, but said, I met a guy in Nashville who gave me all this stuff. So I wrote him a letter and said, I'm that guy, you know, and I've got a bunch of stuff I'd love to show you. And he called me one night, you know, and I couldn't believe it. And, and he said, well, how could we get together? And I said, well, I've got, I got more stuff than I could load in my car. Is there any way you could come here? <laughs> 
And he, Why not? He conferred off the phone and he came back. And, it, you know, if you know the group traffic, uh, the, the drummer was legendary in his own right, Jim Capaldi, you know, who sure. who sadly left us in 05. But uh, he said, well, Jim Capaldi's in town for a visit. Okay, if I bring him along. Well, I'll, well I'll just come, this one time. I'll come get you, you yeah. know. So, so they came over and uh, spent an afternoon with me. And that kind of established a friendship. I would see him a couple times a year. And in 1995, I went up to his house to take him some uh, some bootleg recordings I had of traffic from back in the 70s. And it was the 25th anniversary of Hendrix's death. And I said, could we talk about that? You know, because you guys, mm-hmm. you knew him, you worked with him. And, and they looked at each other and kind of shrugged their shoulders. So I set a recording device on the table. And just would ask leading questions, and they would just go with it. So one of my episodes is is that tape, you know, with a slideshow of of, of photographs of them and Jimmy, and you know, some subtitles for when you 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 can't exactly hear what they're saying. Right. But it's a real flashback, and because they totally got lost in it. Remembering back in the day stuff they probably hadn't thought about in years, you know, describing the music scene in England at the time and everything. It's just, it's fascinating stuff. You gotta wear shades. David, we're gonna wrap this up with, um, you know, you've labeled that age 70, your son. Passing on and documenting and archiving is the only way that future people will, you know, learn what happened. You know, as you said, everybody's going. There's nobody to tell the stories anymore. So uh, the future for you, for what you've created and such, I would suggest you rebuild a website that could live on for forever because uh, YouTube's going to live on forever. Right. And so uh, build that website. Uh, the future for you is, you know, how do you see this uh are you still pers- uh, collecting things, pursuing things, finding out things? Where where's the future for this in you? Things still come my way. You know, back in the old in the early days before internet, it was long distance calls and snail mail, and people traded things. But now people share stuff. You know, so um, so there's all you know. It's amazing how new no new photographs are coming to light. You know, one of one of my also great joys is I'm friends with uh, Eric Barrett who was Jimmy's um, road manager and guitar tech. And, you know, when Jimmy passed, he worked with Tom Petty and David Bowie and Aerosmith and Madonna. And, you know, so he's he's such a wonderful guy. He sits and just tells me these great stories. And uh, he sent me a picture once. And uh, uh, Billy Joel had mentioned this in his autobiography. But I, I heard the story from Eric. He said... Uh, it was New York City, uh, uh, Queens, New York, uh, March of 1968, and he said, setting up the, the equipment, he said, and I heard the pair of the worst fake British accents I've ever heard in my life. And I walked <laughs> out there and said, what's going on? He said, and these two guys said, man, we just want to see Jimmy. You know, just let us out. We just want to see. And he said, okay, help me set up. You know, so he said, they helped me set up. I offered them tickets down front, and they said, no, we'd be happy to just sit here in the wings and watch from the wings. He said, fine. You know, so flash forward 30-something years, and he's in Australia with uh, Aerosmith at this big 3D event that had Van Halen and a bunch of other big acts. And he said, um, somebody came to the dressing room and said, Billy Joel wants to talk to you. And he said, uh, what does he want? He said, I couldn't understand what Billy Joel would want with me. So he said, we went, I went back and he said, Eric, he said, you don't remember me. He goes, no. He says, I was one of the two guys that you let set up uh, the stuff for Jimmy. So he sent me a picture of him and Billy Joel from that moment, you know, and he was just such a, just such a sweet guy. That's terrific. That's very cool. Um, Last thing. What, what do you, do you have any, Cause I don't, I, I, I'm like you, I, my iPod, I don't think I have anything on it, uh, for, since, I don't know, early two thousands. Is there any rock group coming up? Anything that you're, that you listen to? Is, well, there, you is know, there anything there? Cause I don't, I can't find the next 
group. Rock bands, you know, of course there's the Foo Fighters. They're a rock band, but it's, it's you know, yeah. they've gotten to the point where you can't hardly get a ticket to see them. And uh, a group of, of kids, you know, and I think they've moved to Nashville, uh, who kind of echoes of Led Zeppelin called Greta Van Fleet mm-hmm. there. And I saw them first on Saturday Night Live and, Joe Chambers inter- interviewed them over at the Mus- Musicians Hall of Fame. But they're young kids, and they play vintage instruments through big martial amps, and, and they're they a pretty good rock and roll band. But I still lean toward the, the old stuff. I was able to take my wife Cindy to see Procol Harum at the City Winery, you know, a year or two before the lead singer Gary Brooker died. And I still love, you know, uh, somebody that never got his due. I gave you that DVD of Frank Marino, one of the great – rock guitar players ever but he he spent the 80s blowing away most of the uh big names that he would open for so uh, so i still listen to and you know cream you know clapton you know if clapton had never played another note after 1968 yeah. his his place in history would be assured but that that cream stuff still resonates to me i, I love that old stuff you got one more C- cd down there on there what, what's going to go this on is with this? for you um me, this joe is Elvis. a dvd not for john for joe this is a dvd and because what it is and of, of madonna it's a <laughs> it's a documentary on on ginger baker's life it's called oh. beware of mr baker now i contributed some video and some audio that you'll see my name in the credits at the end but um He's a crusty old guy. What a story. Uh, there could be a whole hour on just Ginger Baker stories. Probably. Oh, yeah, yeah. What, is it a DVD or yeah, a CD? It's a DVD. Before I put it in my no, car and go, no. why won't this work? It's, and it's jammed. It's, in there. A, yeah. it's a DVD, and there's some there's some performance clips and pe- so good. You know, people that you would know talking about him. You know, uh, Can but, you put this kind of stuff out? You know, is no, there copyright no. stuff on it or <clears> something? No, I was uh, – the guy who um, – produced that his name was jay bulger i saw an article about him in rolling stone when he was just in production and it had uh contact information so i i emailed him and said Man, i've got some stuff you know I'd, I'd really like to take part in this so uh so i sent him some stuff and he said well yeah i think we can do that ginger so, baker one of the greatest drummers of all time and yeah. here, this kind of describes him the top of your cd it's a picture beware of Mr. Baker and Ginger's got on a big fur coat yeah. uh, just in his craziness. This is a quote from Ginger <clears throat> Baker. God is punishing me for my past wickedness by keeping me alive and in as much pain as he can. Well, <laughs> well he sent me uh, some outtakes. Yeah. That's not in the actual thing, but, but you know, he at toward the end of his life, he had severe arthritis in his back and and other other neurological things and this uh he's sitting there in a chair you know real grumpy and the guy said are you amazed you're still alive he goes what and he goes are you amazed you're still alive he goes he's as amazed frankly and then he goes for all my past wickedness god is keeping me alive and in as much pain as he possibly can (laughs) that's good (laughs) Well, hey, that's great to, to, to end on. David, thank you yes. for your time, man. Hey, it was it a was blast, good. I know guys. it goes by. I know we could do this uh, several volumes because you've got, uh, you'll forget more about Jimmy and rock and roll than we'll ever know. Come hey. see me sometime. Thank you for the stories. That's huh. the only way history still lives, and uh, you're great at it. Keep punching away. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you for much. joining us here on the Second Cup of Joe. Love it. And John. It's the Second Cup of Joe. And John as their guests expound on any and all topics within the realm of decency. Want to be a sponsor? Let a TV and radio guy help build your business. Email the show, John at gmail.com. Now, hold on tight and grab another second cup of Joe and John. <laughs>